0: Hi, listeners. This is Josh Zygmunt, host of the HR Works podcast and content director of the HR Daily Advisor. Welcome to the HR Works Showcase, where we team up with brands you know and love in the world of human resources and people operations, handing over the microphone and letting them hit record. These are episodes produced for you and by you, the members of the great HR community. In today's episode, we're back with episode two of Bamboo HR's The Era, a multi part series dedicated to the employee experience and giving an answer to the question. Does putting employees first really lead to better business outcomes? Listen as Bamboo HR CEO, Brad Wrencher, takes us through a series of conversations with expert HR executives as they discuss the important roles culture and inclusion play in helping employees enjoy a higher quality of life. Let's check out the episode.
1: Your culture code is only as good as the degree to which you live it every day. If the head leaders are not talking about it and thinking about it every day, no one else is. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone and they use the term that they feel like they were burned by HR.
2: The company doesn't make the employee successful. The employee makes the company successful.
1: You get more ROI when somebody's more engaged and invested in your mission and cause. We build careers,
3: not software. Probably more than anything, people are looking for, like, validation. You know, you really do feel alone.
2: Maybe we need to go earlier in the process and obsess over the experience our employees are having with our company as much or more than our customers. Welcome back to The Era. I really enjoyed the first episode. I walked away inspired to show up more meaningfully and powerfully for the employees at Bamboo HR, as well as my family and friends. I hope it provided a similar experience to you. As we mentioned in the first episode, Grow From Good to Great, this podcast is an attempt to explore and test out the hypothesis that we have entered into the era of employee experience and how that's actually a good thing. We also discussed the psychological contract that exists between employees and employers. If you missed that episode, definitely go back and check it out when you're done with this one. Today, we're going to dive into culture Head first and explore how focusing on culture can close the gap between employees and employers and set the foundation for an exceptional employee experience, which I'm tempted to call the triple E, Exceptional Employee Experience, but I'm not that guy. We're going to talk to three women today who are uniquely qualified to talk about building strong cultures. Sarah Jones from Inclusion Pro will join us followed by Anita Grantham from Pluralsight. And finally, we'll talk to Bamboo HR's own Cassie Whitlock. But first, I want to discuss the modern employee. Part one, a very unique tattoo. So who is the modern employee and why is it so important to give them the right employee experience? I don't want to oversimplify here, but your perceptions of the employee-employer relationship may be influenced by your generation. I have a confession to make. I'm a reformed investment banker. Don't worry, I feel like I've made a full recovery and found my professional calling here at Bamboo HR. However, some of the early experiences I had as an investment banker almost feel inhumane today. There was an individual at the investment bank whose job was to dole out work to the bullpen of analysts who were in the office. And it seemed to me that every Friday afternoon at about 4.58 on the dot, this individual would walk down the hallway. I remember hearing footsteps and they would drop a pile of work on your desk. It was at that moment that you realized, that I realized, that that's when my weekend work week began and plans needed to be canceled and expectations needed to be adjusted. And later, in a separate conversation with a senior member of the firm, this individual said that the junior members just needed to adjust their expectations of what their work lives were going to be and just consider themselves a unit of production. And not to make plans outside of work. I mean, if you happen to show up to your kid's birthday party, that's great. But don't confirm your attendance until the moment you walk in the door. It's true, I'm immensely grateful for the experiences I had early in my career. It did teach me, however, that oftentimes the relationship between employer and employee can feel very transactional and lacking in real connection. It's the you are a unit of production versus an actual human with hopes, dreams, and a desire to contribute and belong. Today's employees expect more, more work-life integration, more autonomy, more fulfillment. They even expect more from their relationship with employers. In other words, culture matters to today's workforce. And that's great news. And by the way, it's no wonder HubSpot, with all its emphasis on culture, was Glassdoor's number one best place to work in 2020. For me, when I look at the modern employee and parse through everything I've learned about them, I think it boils down to this. They want to be respected as individuals. This is where our first guest comes into the picture.
4: How do you bring everyone along? under inclusion and give everyone that space to listen and learn together.
2: This is Sarah Jones. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Inclusion Pro, a company that focuses on helping organizations and individuals create cultures of inclusion. Before Inclusion Pro, Sarah founded the Women Tech Council, an organization that has made momentous strides in amplifying women in technology and giving them opportunities to succeed in a typically male dominated industry but she's not the type to rest on her laurels.
4: There are still so many talented women with so much potential you have not discovered. And if you are looking around, and so think about Women Tech Council's been around for 15 years, and if you're looking around and your leadership team is still not diverse, there might be some some work to do still, right? And so I think don't, uh, don't be too fooled by the successes that we're having. Make sure there's this you know, moment of reality check and bring your leadership teams along. You know, never let where we're at be good enough.
2: To understand how Sarah became such an impressive ambassador for inclusion in the workplace, you need to look no further than her own history. You might be one of the nearly 2 million people who saw Sarah's impressive TED Talk. For the unacquainted, Sarah was adopted from South Korea in 1977 when she was three years old. She came to a loving white family in the United States but there were certain aspects of her transracial adoption that shaped Sarah for the rest of her life.
4: I've always known that I was adopted. You know, people will ask, when did you find out? And when you come into a culture where you just stand out, people just treat you differently. I felt like I had to fit in. Like I tried really hard to fit in in many, many different ways. I didn't want to be different. One of the things also that makes my story a little bit Interesting from maybe some other adoptionist stories that you hear is that I arrived in America with a very unique tattoo on my arm. And it's on my left arm. It's actually rather large. When I first came to America, my parents, my adoptive parents, had it surgically removed because you know, tattoos were a stigma back then. They were taboo and they didn't want me to have to go through a young life, having to always have to explain that as well. Right. And so, um, there, you know, to some extent, you know, it's very symbolic of, of really erasing the culture that I came from and, and all of those parts of me.
2: This process of erasing came to be emblematic of Sarah's new life as she found herself trying to erase other aspects of herself that came from her Korean roots. And it's obvious to see how this shaped her views on inclusion in the workforce.
4: My identity around uh, my Asian identity was very different than it is now. So now that I've gone through this process of really saying, I can show up as who I am. My TED Talk was an example of me being able to show up as me, right? Which is really in our workplaces, that's, that's what people want to be able to do. And earlier in my career there, I mean, there's a few reasons why I didn't really, my Asian identity wasn't really a a significant driver for me for a few reasons. Mm -hmm. One is that uh, in my experience of being adopted, there were times when I would try to distance myself from being Asian, right? So when you're trying to, Um, be seen as white, uh, conform to the culture that you're born in there. um, A lot of transracial adoptees can experience distancing and even self-loathing of their own race. And so, and again, I want to be super careful that that's not everyone's experience, but it can happen. And so pretty much in my career, because, you know, I knew that I was just very much in the minority, I basically tried to just be like everyone else right? And so I've certainly had that experience and I can empathize with anyone in cultures who are struggling to show up as their whole selves.
2: If you joined us for episode one, this will ring a bell. This concept of fitting into the culture and trying to be the same instead of being yourself and adding to an existing culture.
4: So now that I'm, you know, gone through some life experiences, the highs and the lows and things like that, I'm much more comfortable in my skin And um, I'm very conscious of the environments in which I'm going to spend time and energy. And I'm looking for those environments where I can show up as my whole self. So I think the tie-in from a a leadership perspective is um, there is definitely a drive to create those cultures where people feel like they're not having to like put on this armor, right? That's the way, best way I would describe it, right? I'm, yeah. Okay, I'm going to work. I know, you know, that they, they want to see this version of me. So I'm going to put on this armor, this mask of what I know they want to see. Uh, and we're trying to shift that. We're trying to make it so people can can be themselves.
2: It might be easy to hear Sarah speak and think that this is a cut and dry issue on diversity and inclusion. But what if this principle applies far beyond the sort of limits we typically put around it? Beyond just accepting people for what demographics they fit into, what if people want to be accepted with real empathy for who they are at a fundamental level? And as Sarah explains, as we open up and share our true selves, that includes sharing our experiences too. I think it's
4: really important when, um, you know, when leaders are going down this route to really create this culture, that they learn to share their own experiences, right? That's the human connection piece that I think is so critical. Um, and, it, you know, I would say the traditional versions of diversity, equity, inclusion have really kind of um, left the storytelling to, you know, people who are underrepresented. Yes. It's almost as if, you know, white people, white men have been in this interesting position of like, you know, my story is not valuable. Right. I, I, my job is to be quiet and listen and learn. And what we miss out there. Is this important opportunity to really create common connection? It's critical that we understand everyone's experiences, but at the same time, that's the communication skill, that's the empathy skill, right? And so um, one of the things I work on with leaders is how do you bring everyone along under inclusion and give everyone that space to listen and learn together? You know, I would think it's refreshing. Right? for people to have that space and that opportunity, everyone, right? Because sometimes, you know, men will say like, well, I've never been included in that, you know, type of conversation or that's the only time I feel like a minority. Um, and, and then, that, you know, those are kind of singles, signals that we've kind of been doing it a little bit wrong.
2: Going back to Sarah's life story, as many children of adoption do, Sarah eventually went looking for her biological family. What she found was a loving family. So
4: later in life, I finally felt ready to find my birth family, which you might think is interesting because I've had this tattoo for my entire life and known about it, but um, I had to be emotionally ready. You know, There's a lot of adoptees that look for their birth family and never find anything. And that's another thing that I had to be ready for. And so I took a permanent marker and I redrew over my tattoo and I put a photo on social media and it started to be shared. And Uh, Korean people on Facebook shared the photo and it was just amazing to me that within uh, just a few months of doing that, that I found my Korean birth family. You know, one of the difficult things of going through that experience is you're told many variations of what could have happened or why you're here or why your family gave you up. And when you find the real story that my father became injured and he couldn't provide for us. And so the only way he could see his three children surviving was to, to literally give away his parental rights and send us to Children's Welfare Services. Um, that's a story that I had never even possibly considered. And you know, hearing my birth family tell me that he wanted to keep us and he was so desperate that he put a tattoo on our arms so we could find each other because he had no idea what would happen to us it really changed my view of maybe what i thought uh, a parent would do or be and you know to have my uncle tell me that before he gave me my tattoo he hugged me you know it's um just to be able to understand the amount of love that went into that action was incredibly powerful. I mean, not many of us can really envision giving our own two-year-old daughter a tattoo with needle and thread, but that's the links my father went through. So we were told other things. You would have been destitute. You would have had no one. You would have been on the streets. Um, And those weren't messages from my parents. So I want to be really, really clear. Right. But those are the messages that you're, you're told all around you um, about your adoption. And so for me it was just you know, to realize that the, that the stories were not true and that there's, uh, this, there's this reality that I never understood. and being able to share and tell people about the real love and the real um, the heartbreak of parents who have to go through that experience, I think is really, really important.
2: I don't know about you, but the symbolism hits me hard every time I think about it. So let me just take a moment and pause to say I think it is crucial that we as leaders of organizations must do everything we can to treat people with respect and embrace them for who they are. Those things that we might be quick to erase just because they're different, they might be the crucial links that bind us together.
4: You know, sometimes as small, medium businesses, we look at the large, you know, like Adobe's of the world and look at all the resources and we say, oh my gosh, I we can't be them. You, you're just expecting too much. And I don't think anyone's expecting that. I think that even if you look at large organizations, there's still a lot of work to do. So if you are, you know, in a small, medium business and wondering, where do I start? What do I do? With anything, it is about personal transformation. So if you think about the work that executives have been doing to really listen and learn over this past year, especially with social unrest, especially to really better understand employee experiences that they might not have even been aware of. There's been a lot of humbling that's been happening. Listen and learn. What's going on? How are people experiencing your workplaces? Like, it is literally that skill. And then is it converting into your own personal leadership transformation?
2: Listen and learn. That's a really good way of summarizing what modern employees want out of their leaders. Part two, start at the top. The first step to closing the gap between employees and employers is to understand each other. The next step is alignment. But first, I want to drive a point home. In the first two episodes, we've discussed multiple times how looking for cultural sameness doesn't actually help anyone. Cultural sameness sometimes sounds like an easy solution, but as Katie Burke from HubSpot reminded us, you can't innovate fast enough if you're all the same. Perhaps what matters most is that you and your people hear each other, respect each other, and share the same values. I want to focus in on that last point. From my experience, when there's a misalignment on values, the friction that exists in the workplace will create an atmosphere that doesn't drive great work. But when values are aligned, this is where the real magic happens.
3: I believe fundamentally that with all founders or CEOs and people leaders, there has to be like a spiritual connection because of the way the job is.
2: This is my good friend, Anita Grantham. Anita is the chief people officer at Pluralsight, where she oversees the employee journey and has played a crucial role in leading their award-winning culture of learning. Through her experiences as a culture champion, Anita has developed a real depth of knowledge on the subject.
3: So culture exists whether you know it or not. It's always there. And what we've seen tech companies do really well is just define it, especially if you have a founder-owned organization. Like you've probably seen this in your journey at Bamboo. The culture takes on the the personality of the founder, and then you get to a spot and you've got to scale it. So the first question I ask any founder or CEO is, what do you want to do with this business? Do you want to grow it? Do you want to sell it? Do you want a lifestyle business? What do you want? And then from that place, we can go and build a strategy for whatever that path is. And then once we have a business strategy, we say, what are the behaviors that we need to deliver on that strategy? And that is what the birth of the culture is. But oftentimes, because everybody's not clear on those things, you start down here with perks and programs that aren't tied to the strategy, that aren't tied to the outcome of the founders. And that's when it becomes disparate. So for me, culture is tying that whole platform together.
2: You've probably seen this before, this disconnect between what a company claims its culture is and what it actually is. And unfortunately, this disconnect often takes place all the way at the top.
3: The way that Aaron and I have done it is we've said, do we all agree that this is important? Do we all agree that being great, maybe that uh, we won't use that example. I love, I love your value of do the right thing. Um, our value here is be your word. Do we agree that that is the premise of integrity and being your word is really important? And one simple thing we do here at Plural Site around being your word is that we always start on time and end on time. Because we actually believe that that is is a foundation of being your word, that you're committing to these people, that you will do that. A lot of executives struggle with that, right? I'm the big C guy. I will start when I start, and I will end when I end, and all of you can gather around me and do that. And so when we've had conversations where people don't agree on that value, it's saying, do you believe in the foundation and the premise of this value? And if they say no, then I invite them to go find it somewhere else.
2: Even as an executive, somebody who should theoretically be as strong of a contributor as anyone won't succeed without sharing a company's values. But again, it's not about fit. As Anita points out, it's about commitment.
3: When you let somebody go, you say, oh, you're not a culture fit. And everybody has some form of integrity or culture or integrity or trust at their core value. And that's like saying, okay, Brad, I don't trust you. You're not your word. I mean, that cuts to the heart of the human experience. And that's not what we want to create. So what we said is we want a commitment that you will work on these things over time. Does it mean that you're going to be on time every time? No. But what it looks like is that you clean it up and you demonstrate leadership in such a way around it that we know that you're in constant, like you're striving to improve it along the way. Because on a good day, maybe I'm like 70% accurate on our values. I have to work every single day to do it. And that's just human behavior, but it's how I show up to the messes, how I clean it up, and how I work with my team to say I'm not flawless. And those are the ways I think you create lifelong learning and you create a culture of forgiveness and a culture of growth and a culture of innovation, which I think is the intention of the culture word itself. It's not to cut people out. So, culture to me is the whole system. Values are the descriptors of the behaviors that we believe will drive performance in the culture. If you think about it like marketing, the mission is the brand strategy that attracts people to buy your product. A mission attracts employees to come work for you. So, it's it's creating something in the world where people are like, wow, I'm really passionate about about tech skills and productivity for developers. So, I'm going to come and work on that because I believe that I can make the world a better place in that area. So, that is the external facing brand message for team members and employees, team members and customers, external customers. And the strategy is supposed to drive change. The mission is supposed to drive change. And the values drive change in you as you evolve as a leader. But most CEOs and founders think they're exempt from that process. Like that's the first question I often ask founders is how well do you demonstrate these values? If I ship a program as your people leader around performance, Brad, are you going to be the person to lead it from the top and actually use it with your directs? Very few CEOs will do that.
2: I love how Anita explains the relationship between culture and values. Whatever culture you aspire to have, it's unlikely you'll ever get there without behaviors that are driven by values. So what do you do? How do you create a culture and value system that will actually be adopted by everyone in the organization?
3: This is the number one question I get asked by my peers is how do we do that? And my, my answer back is just go have a conversation with the CEO and say, do you want to do this? Why or why not? If you don't want to do it, how would you suggest we do it in a way that you would get behind it? But like oftentimes people leaders dig in their heels and are like, it has to be this way. It has to be this process. Well, look, if my customer doesn't want to buy it, it doesn't matter. We are serving up products and I want people to buy my people products because they love it, not because I'm the only provider. And my number one customer, are my they're my peers. Because look, I'm never going to have a team that's going to scale to be the size of my go-to-market team or my engineering team. It's those leaders that have to go sell it on the front lines.
2: And that's exactly what Anita did. You may have noticed Anita mentioned Aaron earlier. She's referring to Aaron Sconard, the co-founder and CEO of Pluralsight. Anita has a great relationship with Aaron because among other reasons, she knows how important his buy-in is in creating and sustaining a strong culture. So in 2016, when Anita sought out to strengthen and grow Pluralsight's culture, she worked hand in hand with Aaron.
3: When we decided what Aaron wanted to do with the business and we built Vision 2020, which was kind of a bucketized list of what do your authors look like? What do your customers look like? What do your team members look like? And we described in 2016 what the business would look like in 2020. And we started going out. This is when we would travel. We would do like eight. So we had eight offices and we'd go to eight offices in five days, new office every day of the week. And we'd spend a lot of time on a plane. And we went around and we socialized the vision. And a lot of people thought, well, this is very audacious. And we want to get behind it. And we said, okay, up until this point in our history, we've had three core values. Are they working or are they not? And a lot of people said we love our original three core values, but they're missing some things. And so we took all that data. I mean, we spent a ton of time with the people. We were only four hundred team members at that time, so it was really easy to do. And we said, okay, let's evolve them. Let's take them from where they were to where they are today, while still honoring the past. We wanted to honor the past of what they were. So. We, we said, we're going to seek context with intention. This is the hardest one for people. It's an iteration on the Franklin Covey seek first to, be, to understand, then be understood. But what we wanted people to do is oftentimes people speak to each other just to get their word in. And what we want people to do is be really curious and say, what is it like to be in this new role at this great company that has amazing founders? I wanna to try to sit in that seat over there with you. And I don't wanna have any judgment around it, but as a leader that gives me access to you in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. And at that point, when I really understand your point of view, my voice may not be important anymore. And that was the evolution of this, that everybody said, we really get excited about that. It's gonna be hard. And there's days I don't wanna practice it. Like there are days where I'm like, do not see context. I wanna tell you exactly what I want you to do. But it gives us that freedom to be, to say that. And to say, tomorrow, let's see context. Let's be honest with each other. And so not only did we we evolve the values, but underneath, we created two columns. And I see that you have some of this too, where you talk about what good looks like. We call it powerful and non-powerful. And when your organization scales, everybody takes, like if you just say integrity, their own definition of integrity is different across a thousand team members. We wanted to define it so that leaders and team members could coach each other on the framework of what it means at Pluralsight. And then we took it a step further and we said, we believe if you do these things at Site, you're actually going to be a better person at home in your community with all the things that you care about. So we have create with possibility, seek context with intention, accountability for excellence, commitment to something bigger, and be your word. We didn't want it to be the same as you'd find at every other company. We want people through the attraction process to say, why, why do you call it
2: that? The value that Anita mentioned, seek context with intention, I think is a great example of what a strong company value can be. What stands out to me about it is that, number one, it encourages empathy, something we touched on in the first episode. That's huge. Number two, it's very specific to Pluralsight. As Anita said, it's different on purpose. And finally... It's also aspirational. It's meant to stretch people to be better. Now, sure, even Anita admits that this value is hard to follow every day, but that's okay. Assuming everyone is realistic and accepting of each other, it stands to reason that by seeking to improve, improvement is more likely to come. It's a balancing act. You want to push yourselves to be better, but you also need to be authentic to who you are. So again, how do we do that? Part three. Paid, paid vacations and gratitude journals. As organizations recognize their people on an individual level more and more, a natural outgrowth of that is tailored employee experiences.
1: I joined Bamboo as Employee 21, which is pretty cool to say, but what does that mean?
2: This is Cassie Whitlock, the director of HR at Bamboo HR. If that sounds like an intimidating role, you're right. It's basically the equivalent of being a head chef at a Michelin three-star restaurant. But Cassie is more than qualified for it. During her time at Bamboo HR, we've won many awards for our culture, and she has played a major role in that. She has been on the journey of building our culture from a plucky startup to a large and growing global business. A few years ago, similarly to Anita, Cassie took a methodical approach when trying to help define Bamboo HR's values with the help of our founders. And like Anita, she learned a thing or two along the way.
1: There's no one right answer, right? There's not and list of words that are the perfect words to use. And, and therein is the, the first point is I think it needs to be authentic. It needs to be true to you. And there's this healthy balance between aspirational and inherent. I don't believe values work well when it's something that you're going to try to become in the future. But instead, if you understand what is already true of us today, there's power in that and you can build from there. So at Bamboo HR, that was like almost the first accidental thing I did, I thought, yeah, I'm going to come up with a list. And I thought, wait a minute, that is not we. And so I spent a couple of weeks just walking around the office observing. What do I see? What are what do these people already care about? How does that come into the middle of doing work every day? What does it look like? And for me, that was probably the 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 healthiest perspective in which to approach establishing company values is getting to know the current team and the people and what they care about already right now and that it actually lives and it's not just words, it's actions. And then from there, we created a list and then you start to play the the word games, right? Pull up your thesaurus and what's the best way to describe this action or behavior? Um, And at the end of the day, through a lot of work and a lot of modifications, we ended up with five company values. And if you know Bamboo HR, you know we have seven so that's, that's another piece is um, your values have to be able to both stand the test of time, but they also have to have enough flex in them that they can evolve through natural pain points of the business and organizational growth or even organizational decline, whatever's going on in your organization. And so how do you how do you adapt? And for us, we identified two kind of gaps, lenses or dimensions that weren't really defined that we knew were going to be important for employee success and so we adopted two new values and and then I go back to that idea of telling stories so we have a value we define what it means but then what do the stories look like in the real world
2: it's funny how similar those two paths were to finding and defining values one similarity that I think is especially interesting is the evolution of values If you think about it, it makes all the sense in the world that as an organization grows and evolves, so too should its values. Not to scrap the old ones or decide we don't care about those things anymore, but to enhance them, to identify gaps and to communicate them better. So how do you identify where improvement can come in a culture? For one, Cassie and her team focus on feedback.
1: I like to look at it from a target perspective where you have... Uh, concentric rings, and you want something at every level of your target to really engage and get feedback in your organization. I love EMPS. It's one of my favorite tools ever. It's a great leadership tool, but we really like to use it at a super high level within our organization. We're talking about team-wide, company-wide patterns and opportunities. And then, of course, the the closest ring and that bullseye target is your manager one-on-ones, And then, you know, in the leadership levels, are there other ways that you're getting feedback, whether it's through pulse surveys or other engagement feedback mechanisms, skip level meetings. So rather than having any one that you lean into super hard, I think you have to have multiple, right? You want to attack it on five different fronts, not one or two.
2: Feedback is a crucial factor in strengthening an employee experience for the same reason customer reviews help companies make a better product. Equally crucial in strengthening an employee experience is constant communication.
1: Where in your business do you create that regular heartbeat of culture? Where and how is there time and space that this comes into the work, comes into your communications, As I get feedback from new hires in our organization, that's probably the the most consistent piece of feedback I get is folks come and say, I know you talk about it and I wanted it to be true, but I get here and I'm stunned that it is true. Say, well, tell me more. What do you mean? What are you experiencing? And it's the simple things like everyone I talk to is referencing a value at some point or another, saying, oh, I'm doing this because this is how I make it count, or this is how I be open. And as they interact with employees, team members, managers, and other departments, they see the same thing. So it's not just their team. They recognize that it's a social contract that we have all signed with each other and that we all hold each other accountable for. So how do you create that consistent beat of culture and talking about it and it matters? Uh, we lean in on teaching it. What does culture look like at our organization? We have onboarding classes about culture and we make it experiential. It's not just a lecture, but here's what it feels like. Here's some skills to help you navigate and be better at this value and, and living it on a day-to-day basis. But it's the drumbeat. And if you don't listen to that song every day, you're going to forget the words and it's not going to bring real meaning to you.
2: One of the revelatory things for me when I joined Bamboo HR is how much our values inform almost everything we do as a company. Yes, we beat the drum and talk about it a lot, but you need to act on it too. My first experience with this was on my first day. It was just moments after it was announced that I was going to be joining Bamboo HR as the CEO. And I stood and I asked every employee to send me an email and tell me why they loved working at Bamboo HR. What do they appreciate about it? And the 500 emails I received all expressed the reasons that they love working at Bamboo HR through our values, that we live our values, that they're alive, that it informs them how they should show up. And they take that from work and they also take it home and how it's helped them grow as individuals. That was the moment that I realized that they weren't pictures on the wall, but it was informing how we live and to do it. It was a bit of a head slap moment for me where I said, this is different. So as we seek to provide our people with a tailored employee experience, we use our existing culture and values as guideposts along the way.
1: So when we talk about values, sometimes it helps to step back and say, why do we even have them? right? Is it for culture? Is it business outcomes we're driving? And I know at Bamboo HR, it really became because we care about the people that work for us. And if that is true, then this is how we want to define an architect, a culture that they're going to enjoy working in. So you you take, this is why we have them. It's supposed to help our employees. It's supposed to create a great employee experience. And then you start looking at the operational, aspects of doing business and how do we now tie values into those how do we now tie values into operational work that needs to be done whether it's hr work or even more broadly just doing work of the business a few examples of what does that look like so let's start in the hr space because that's what we're talking about is hr work uh benefits programs we all know we have to have them And initially, yeah, at Bamboo HR, we had benefits, and they were benefits, and it's what you do. But pretty early on, we recognized that we needed to take our values and infuse them into our benefits. And so how are we going to do that? And as we had discussions, we kind of centered in on this idea of one of our values is enjoy quality of life. We thought that is at the heart of what our benefits should do. Our benefits should exist to add quality to the lives of our employees it's helped with our benefit selections and where we choose to invest now one example of that is the paid paid vacation and, and it really goes back to PTO so why do you have PTO in your organization is it because you're kind of required to right in the market everyone has PTO and therefore you also have to have it or is PTO part of your culture and how do your values influence that We recognize that PTO is essential. It's important to the total well-being of employees, whether it's, you know, just check out of work and let your mind rest so that you come back more creative. Or sometimes it's even unique time to handle the things of life and to take care of things outside of your your work-life focus. And so if we want people to be utilizing PTO, is there a way that we could maybe enhance that so that it is a more powerful more beneficial experience for our employees. And this is where that idea of paid, paid vacation came. Yes, you get paid time off, but you also get paid for expenses related to a trip. And the hope there was that people would have the experience that you never quite have because the cost, right? It holds you back. And what if the money was there, what would you do? And so the idea was to encourage people to have experiences, to go out and learn about new cultures, or to, to um, connect with the things that matter to them in a way that money might be holding them back. You know, and I've seen everything from people having that, that dream trip and going to a culture that they've never experienced and coming back a better human. I, I've done that. One of my favorite paid paid was uh, going to South Africa and experiencing that beautiful country and getting to know those people and it changed me. I got to go visit an orphanage and, and bond with just beautiful children who are in, in the hardest times of life and, and don't have homes and family and structure, but to be able to reach out and connect and, and have empathy. I grew as a human being that will always stay with me. It's something that's changed me and made me a better person. I've also seen individuals who have used it to help address more difficult situations in life. Um, maybe a family member has passed away and they're able to fly some family in for the funeral. And that's an important and meaningful experience for them. I know I talked with one employee who actually was able to fulfill a promise to their father who had passed away and took their ashes back to the homeland and spread their ashes there. And it would have been much more difficult for this individual to really fulfill that promise and have that opportunity. And so that's what I love about PayPaid.
2: This is just one example of many where by keeping our values top of mind, we found opportunities to infuse them into our work and by extension, our personal lives.
1: We spent time every month as a company talking about what values mean under the lens of all in to make sure that they knew. Here's what grow from good to great looks like. Here's what enjoy quality of life looks like. I didn't want people to accidentally say if I'm all in it means I'm working 24/7 and you know, I abandon the rest of my life to pursue my career and the goals of the business. No, that's not what we want. And so one of the things that we did there is thought about, you know, how do you be all in as as a human? How do you become better as a person and grow And one of the ideas we came up with was talking about gratitude journals. Uh, I'd found a study that talked about, you know, the outcomes of people who are more grateful. The the quality of life that they experience is just exponentially higher. And this study talked about not just having a, a gratitude journal where you write down five things you're grateful for, but instead write down one thing you're grateful for and five reasons why it matters to you. And there was something about evolving your mindset to not just being grateful and being aware of what's good around you, but really understanding why it, it's powerful to you, why it adds value to your life. It takes it to a whole new level beyond just being grateful. And I had one, one employee reach out to me a year after the challenge was issued to have this gratitude journal. And uh, he came to my office and said, hey, I, I wanted to report back. You invited us all to do that and I took the invitation to heart and I got a journal and every day I've done that and I have to say I am a different human being now and I like who I am better and the best part is my family likes who I am better. I appreciate my family so much more and kind of went on to share some some things that had really changed but there was a, a mindset shift for this individual and all of a sudden, so many more things were possible for this person. Their engagement levels were up, their job satisfaction was up, their connection with peers and coworkers was up. And When you think about that kind of a momentum, if we do that for one person, what if everybody in the team was doing that? And all of a sudden you have these elevated outcomes of productivity and satisfaction in work.
2: This is a good time to point out that for the employee, what we call employee experience is really just personal experience, it's their life. And to the value Cassie mentioned earlier, people want to enjoy a high quality of life. Now the skeptic might say, sure, this sounds good and all, but I have a business to run. I can't obsess about values all the time. Well, what if values can help make business decisions much easier for you?
1: Values should be something you can rely on when it comes down to make, making choices and trade-offs, because you can't do all the things. And so if you're stuck between choice A and choice B, which one do you choose? I believe values should be a central part of that discussion and should help be the tipping point. So no matter what you're working on in the company, if if you're not using your values in it, you're missing a huge opportunity to continue to create this directional focus with everyone. And when you do that, here's one of the best parts. It helps you come back with meaningful powerful and consistent wise.
2: Again, it's about understanding your people and showing them you care about them as individuals. When we tailor our cultures to our people and the values we share with them, and when we share our stories with each other, the employee-employer relationship is strengthened and everyone's better off for it. Thanks for joining us again and for taking part in these important conversations around the employee experience. Wherever you listen to our podcast, feel free to give us a review. And as part of your review, we'd love to hear what topics you want to hear more of. I wanna thank Sarah Jones for the great example she is of inclusion. You can learn more about her and the great work her team is doing at inclusionpro.com. And if you haven't yet, check out our TED Talk. I also wanna thank Anita Grantham for her wealth of knowledge. Go to pluralsight.com to learn more about how their culture of learning is helping millions of people learn technology better. And of course, I want to thank Cassie Whitlock for taking the time to talk with me about culture, even though she has to talk to me about culture pretty much every day at Bamboo HR. In our next episode, we'll talk about how organizations can evolve in a healthy way during times of change. We look forward to seeing you again in episode three.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's HR Work Showcase. and Thanks again to our partners at Bamboo HR for sharing another great episode of The Era. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to check out episode one of The Era in our June 2022 debut of the HR Works Showcase. And tune in again next month as Bamboo HR returns for episode three. And don't forget to subscribe to the HR Works Podcast channel for all your HR podcast needs and to keep up to date with all of our latest shows from the HR Works Podcast family. We can't wait to have you back next time.